Welcome to the Fresh RN Podcast. The information contained in this podcast is meant to supplement your existing knowledge and not replace it. Always refer to your state board of nursing, standards of care, and respective institutions' policies to guide your practice. All identifying patient details have been changed to protect their privacy and remain compliant with the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. Thanks, nurses. Stay fresh. Everybody, we're Hello. back. Hey. It's been two years, two but years. we're back. Oh two gosh. full years, guys. But the <laughs> Fresh RN podcast ladies are back. We are. We're back. <laughs> Thank you guys for waiting patiently. We oh so appreciate that. Um, we're going to do quick life updates and then dive right into this episode. So the reason, the main reason that this took two years for um, us to come back is I've had a busy couple of years. I may or may not have had a child. <laughs> That was a big one. I'm going to go with the May. That was pretty big. Um, yeah. And then I got my master's in nursing education. Wow. Finished that literally one week before I had said child. Wow. Yeah. That was wild. And then I also, one of the reasons um, it also has taken so long is I have begun creating online courses. And I love doing that. And it's, but it's very labor intensive. A lot of work that goes into that. And I've wanted to put my time into that for a little while because this is like the podcast is wonderful the blog's wonderful but it's all different pieces and I wanted to have a place to send people to be like okay like if you want to learn how to do neuro or cardiac or a residency this is me walking you through it in like this one collective way as opposed to like trying to piece everything together right so I've figured out how to do that and I've been doing that and getting other people to help me write content where I'm not quite as much of an expert so that's taken up a lot of time. I bet. Yeah. It's so, a busy life. It's busy. Wow. But, and I also have gone full time with doing that. So I work for myself now. Nice. Uh, yeah, I worked at it. So while I was doing my master's, I was working PRN on the cardiac med surge unit that I worked on when I first graduated. I was doing that. And then I had my son. And then I was about to come back for maternity leave. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, it, I could get a lot more course content done. And a lot more blog stuff done and this and make more money this way. So, okay, I'll just genius. I'll just right. do that. Genius. <laughs> so for it's now I'm not at the bedside, but I'm I'm working diligently to help those that are. Yep. There's a value to that though. There's so, a value to both. So what have you guys been doing? You take it away. Um, hey, it's Elizabeth. Um, so back in April I actually left the bedside. Um, and I started a new role as a nurse navigator. I'm still working with the stroke team, stroke patients. Um, and for those who are not familiar with what a nurse navigator is, uh, it's kind of a newer uh, area to go into um, with nursing. And the, the purpose of kind of the nurse navigator is you work with patients uh, of a certain population, certain disease process. And you go and you provide them with education and information about you know, what stroke is, what heart failure is, et cetera. Um, and you follow them along their hospital stay and um, you help prepare them for discharge. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we make sure we follow up with them when they go home. So we want to make sure they understand medications that they are going to be on, why they're taking them. We also help with scheduling follow-up appointments with uh, our neurology team, um, our stroke clinic, and, um, 
and it's been very rewarding. Um, it was time for me to kind of move on. Um, I've been at the bedside for, gosh, it was 16 years, and um, it was, it's been a great opportunity, but um, it's an interesting role. It's definitely one that's growing, and uh, more and more hospitals, I think, will start um, having these, these uh, jobs available. Sounds necessary because I bet that really provides a different perspective because in the like neuro ICU or the ICU, it's like I, I see this very specific snapshot of their stay and then it's like discharge and going home and are you following up? Do you do you know what happened? Yeah. Like, and does your family understand? And, yep. and now that the kind of like trauma of the ICU has yep. passed, although not that it'll go away, but... I mean, we do, we also do some community events, but we have, what we do have is a stroke support group, which we, um, my colleague runs once a month. And it's great because we get to see those patients who were in the unit a year ago and you see how far they've come. So it's incredibly rewarding. Man, I, it's therapy. Man, I remember those times that someone would come back Mm -hmm. like a year later for a follow-up and just come up to the ICU to see us. And oh my gosh. I got emotional sometimes, or I wouldn't even recognize them. Yeah, Like, I can't believe that you are that person that was intubated and sedated and had the EVD and had the art line and had all everything going into you. And now you're walking in here. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to see a full, full picture. And you said 16 years. I, this year is going to be my 10 year nursing anniversary. Mm. Wild. (laughs) And it doesn't seem like it goes, it just goes by so fast. (laughs) We're babies. Should we ask, should we ask Melissa? Do you want to say how many years you've been a nurse or not so much? You don't have to. It's more than us. It is more than you. I mean, (laughs) this year in, well, I graduated nursing school in 2000, but I didn't start nursing until 2001. Okay. So 19 years. 19 years. uh, Approaching 19 years. And unlike you two, I'm still actually at the bedside. <laughs> but I will say it's a much more blended role. So mm-hmm. yeah, because you're um, doing some leadership stuff and education stuff all mixed in. I do. Um, I'm doing like right now. I'm working on a project to try and help our new nurse preceptors um, become more proficient and and more successful. Because yeah. we really want our new nurses that are coming into the unit to really be set up for success. Spoiler alert, we're going to do an episode about (laughs) (laughs) preceptors. But um, it's been interesting because, you know, the transition to being one of the most experienced nurses on the unit is is a different game plan. So um, we, our unit's been through a lot of change, a lot of new doctors, new nurse practitioners, um, PAs. We've had a lot of new nurses come in with varying experience levels. So really trying to help kind of bridge the gap with all that change and, you know, make sure that we minimize the impact to patient care and really make sure that we allow our patients to be successful in their recovery as best we can. So we're opening up a new neuroscience-based unit. So I'm helping with the training for those those nurses and neuroscience training. And so it's, it's been a little bit of, I've done a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have done, I think, I think you summed it up really well. I've done bedside, I've done some education, I've done a little leadership here and there, you know. It is interesting from that perspective of evolving into that most experienced one. Mm. Like when I went back to that unit, now I wasn't the most experienced. I think there were a few nurses there that had been there longer than I had, but or been nurses longer than I had. But I went from being the 22, 23-year-old new grad, and then I left, and I come back, and now I'm like, I'm 32, and there's all these 22-year-olds around. <laughs> they and they're like all, babies. They look they? like babies. They're, they're all planted weddings. And like, I don't know. It was just, it was a different experience to 
come at it from that, you know, like I've been here, been around, I kind of know mm-hmm. what to freak out about and what not to freak out about. Yeah. Um, and still people kind of learning their own style and everything. Um, that was, yeah, I didn't expect that at all. And I was like, whoa, I, I know things. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just a weird transition, but. You know, I think Melissa Stafford, I, when I was thinking about this the other day, I think Stafford, you are probably one of two of the best probably nurses in that whole hospital. Oh, organization. So nice. no, I cheers just, to I that. Just, I cheers my Aww. coffee cup I to think that. The value of seasoned nurses who are at the bedside. I mean, I you cannot compare. I mean, when you see just nursing turnover in general as you know, our this career is changing and mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, and for the patients that are there, I mean, there is no, you can't, you can't put a, a what am I saying? Value or, or, or a price, a price on. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, getting lost in my thoughts. Anyway, um, you can't, you can't explain, I mean, you know, talk or, or explain how invaluable they are i know like i mean i would like i'd let you take care of anyone in my family (laughs) it's like if we have a neuro injury let's get fly stafford here so she can be the bedside nurse because oh my gosh so and you and you have to be you have as as one of those nurses you have to be available to you know help support the team yeah yeah because so many people look up to those i think you're right i mean you know nursing now compared to when I started is very different so really helping newer nurses kind of come in and get their feet wet and become more comfortable and recognize the responsibility that we have mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't matter if you're an ICU nurse or a med surge nurse or an intermediate care nurse or a rehab nurse there's a value to what you do mm-hmm. and it's really important that you find that and that you find that the happiness in that value because mm-hmm. it's it is a tough field every day is not fun there are really tough days and it it really matters kind of how you learn to deal with that over time because otherwise you know you throw your hands up and you're like I'm I'm done instead of really figuring out a way to to get through those tougher times and to adapt to whatever change is happening around you because that's something about medicine it's always changing it's like jumping on a moving train it really is you know and too I think it's and I want to just flesh that out just a little bit before we move on to our topic is that when I think it's hard for newbies to feel like they do bring something to the table, but I want to make sure that those that are listening know that they do. Yes, they even, do. even if this is your first day, you can, you still bring value to the table. You, you know, you can still be a coachable person, someone who expresses gratitude, someone who's going to yeah. offer to do things like that's all valuable. Even if you don't know all these complex clinical answers, like you can still be a valuable member of the team as you learn how to function within it. Yep. And it's not like you're a burden. And I'm sure there are nurses out there right now that need to know that they are not a burden. No. And you are not a burden. You are not a burden. You are that's an asset. Ex- that is exactly right. And, you know, there's you and both you. You, you and your employer need to kind of, or your team kind of invest in one another to um, make those whatever values that uh, like I don't want to say values whatever strengths you have that are yet to be developed like work on those but from day one you bring value yep. and I think it's really important that people remember that yes, there's guys. nothing better sometimes than seeing a, a new RN who is excited and ready eager mm-hmm. you know to get their feet wet and really engaged yeah really engaged and that's the big thing is engagement yeah Mm -hmm. because you can't you can't teach that no like and like you can't 
like cultivate that in someone they have to br- they that's what they bring to the table the fact that they care they want to they want to get better and they want to you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah all right team let's talk about our topic for today let's do it when should nurses call rapid response <laughs> all right so first we're going to define rapid response because i'm sure some hospitals may have a different kind of word or verbiage for this team but um we actually have a former rapid response nurse on this podcast Elizabeth. For those of you that did not know, <laughs> Elizabeth worked rapid response at a large hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so rapid response, how about you go ahead and define it? So the purpose of the rapid response team is to help recognize patients who could be in potential distress or risk for decline and help facilitate uh, interventions to either um help prevent that from happening, or if they need to get to a higher level of care, they help get those patients transferred. Different hospitals have their rapid response teams consist of different members. Um, In some institutions, rapid response team will consist of a APP or a nurse practitioner or PA that responds to calls. Um, In the hospitals that I've worked at, most of the time it is a critical care experienced RN and a respiratory therapist. And they have a set of protocols um, that they follow. And, you know, if patients need to get shipped out of whatever unit into the ICU, they basically help that make that happen. They're essential in helping reduce uh, code blues, mortality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in in the hospital. Um, And, I mean, there's tons of documentation to to support that. but kind of knowing as a, as a nurse in any part of the hospital, kind of knowing when to call and when it's appropriate is, is important to know. Yeah, and I know there is definitely, and I felt this, a hesitancy of when should I sound the alarm? Because when you do call, it's called overhead, and that team responds, has to respond promptly. So you, and at my experience at another hospital, same thing. It was typically an experienced ICU nurse um, with, a, with a respiratory therapist. And actually, it's a teaching hospital, so they would have a team, one of the teams that would rotate. So, and it would, you know, the resident, chief resident, and then the first, second, third, you know, the intern, everybody would come, and then they would all kind of go through the situation with the nurse. So, so let's say you, your p- patient's deteriorating, you call a rapid response, these people show up, and you as the primary nurse say, this is what happened and this is why I'm calling. And then together figure out what's the best thing. Sometimes the best thing is getting some other orders in place and they stay on the unit and everything's okay and we just need to watch something else or, or monitor for something. Or sometimes it's let's transfer to a higher level of care. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that practically looks at the bedside. Um, but one of the things is that I, one of the reasons I wanted to have this episode is because I notice, especially in the med surge kind of level of care, the a hesitancy to call yeah. because they don't want to like call if it's not a big deal. And then they don't want people to think they're stupid because they called for something that didn't um, that, that didn't really necessitate a call. Um so I wanted to uh, like ask you guys um, what what are like some examples that you guys responded and you were like, man, that nurse made a really good call. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was the perfect time to call rapid response. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key is and, and where the most success happens is when a nurse can recognize signs of decline early mm-hmm. um, before it becomes an emergency. So you don't want to be calling right before your patient's getting ready to code. Hopefully right. you can catch it 
before that. And sometimes you can't, but you know, when you when you're noticing a change in the patient's requiring more and more oxygen or the heart rate continues to increase, you know, if you have a patient who's been flying on 2 liters for 3 days and now all of a sudden they're on 6 liters and struggling, mm-hmm. that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Why why is that? Have we investigated that? And, you know, sometimes it's possible for the nurses to have a conversation with the provider on the front end, but sometimes they may not see the provider and or they don't know necessarily the, how to advocate to, to do a better research. Maybe it's been three days since the patient had a chest X-ray and we need to check another one. Mm. Um, and they don't know to necessarily dive into that. Right. But that experienced nurse coming right. in would. Right. And they, you know, they don't know what labs that might help them figure that out, you know. Maybe their kidney function is declining, so they're not able to filter out their water content, essentially. So they get, you know, backed up that way or um, something like that. So, I mean, I, although I've not really gone on a whole lot of, like, medical rapid response calls, I've been what's considered a neuro-response nurse. Um, And I can speak to a nurse that was on an intermediate floor that called. And the reason was because the patient had had a history of a stroke and had some deficits related to that stroke. She had some, I think it was right-sided weakness. I don't say, let's say right-sided weakness and some slurred speech. But she was able to get up and ambulate. She was able to talk to her family. And for whatever reason, as that nurse came on in the afternoon, the patient really wasn't talking to their family anymore. Hmm. And that was unusual because it was a very tight-knit family and they had all kinds of laughs and, you know, a big party in the room essentially was kind of the norm. And that wasn't happening. And it just rubbed her the wrong way. And she made a call... um, which then um, was a call to us to come and evaluate. So when I got there, she's right. The patient wasn't able to talk. The patient was not able to follow commands the same as they were before. Still weak on that side, but wasn't responding the same way. Mm, subtle differences. Subtle differences. Good call. And so, you know, really complimenting that nurse. And she was, you know, she was very overwhelmed because neuro was not her specialty. Yeah. But you know, making sure she understands she did the right thing. The patient wasn't responding the same way. And even if you don't necessarily understand what's happening, there's a value in getting another expert there to Mm -hmm. evaluate. So ultimately they ended up having a APP comes nurse practitioner that specializes in neurology came to the floor. We did a CAT scan MRI and the patient ended up being able to stay, but it could have very well gone the other way. Yeah. And then when that goes the other way, it's not like you can like just get that back. right? Right. Yeah. Right. So this patient actually had neuro changes related to a worsening infection, mm. which can sometimes oh. impact yeah. the neuro exam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, turns out there was a UTI. She was starting to become neuroseptic. You know, it wasn't to the point where her pressure mm. had dropped or her heart rate was super high yet. But in looking at all the labs and the x-rays and, um, you know, it was we were able to figure out that that's what was going on and start her on antibiotics and let's see and by the next day she was kind of back to where she was before so the point that i think is really important to know from that is she didn't have to know exactly what was going on but she knew something was wrong right and she needed to get another set of eyes there right you you recognize your your the ceiling of your knowledge at this point your capacity to understand what's going okay this i don't know exactly what's going on but homegirl's not the same right we need to get someone else in and then bring more people in because i think people think i think nurses think they have to like figure out the whole clinical picture and then call the physician and then articulate it perfectly right and it's like wait no 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 and i think that too like when they're learning ekgs and stuff it's like no like day one new nurse shouldn't be able to like interpret a 12 lead perfectly you need to know something's wrong right and, and call 
and then you can figure out, you know, there's important ones to know, but you don't need to know how to do the. There's nothing better than a nurse that's trying to learn more. Yes. I mean, as, yeah. as an experienced nurse and, and going to the floor is watching these nurses try and figure it out and then being able to have after the fact, after all the craziness is over, this is what you can look at. Mm-hmm. These are how you can use these labs. This is some of the information that you can gather from the chart. And then next time it becomes easier for them. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And they might recognize it a little sooner and they, you know, may be more comfortable interacting with a provider if, if one's available, Mm -hmm. but you know, a good response nurse, whether it be a neuro response nurse or medical ICU PCAT nurse or rapid response nurse or whatever, whatever your facility calls them, We'll use that as a, as a teaching opportunity yep. for a nurse. Yeah. Not and a time should. to like bully or like, no. No. how dare you? Da, da, da. Yeah. No. And if a nurse is getting that from the rapid response crew, then that needs to go up the chain because mm. that's mm-hmm. not, I, I know good. I mean, rapid response nurses, a rapid response team needs to, to be able to, to, have a good rapport and keep the trust and lines of communication yeah, open and because yes. that's when people don't want to call that's right even they're when scared they need to because they're, they're yes. gonna they're gonna have somebody be all judgmental and rude and and like and it's really hard as a new nurse to put that aside because yes. those are also the highly experienced nurses that you really you genuinely want to impress and you want them to think that you know what you're talking about so it's such a big hesitancy i think to like call when you're not 100 percent sure so, yeah, so that's there's a good nothing, point. should go up the chain of command. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm concerned about this, and this is what I see. And, and you know, is, you know if, a, if the rapid response nurse is tied up with something else, she's like, or he or she can be like, okay, you know, I'll come take a look, you know. But um, I think it's, it's important for nurses to be able to use that resource and, and know and be on the, you know, safe side of of you know what's going on and you know it's hard because patients even providers can't figure out what's going on with a patient for a while i mean it's not black and white it's 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 educated guesses and let's see and you know unfortunately that's just how it is so you know even if you're concerned about a patient you know one day and you're like something's not right there really might be something that's not going right and it may not be until two days later where Unfortunately, something, you know, goes on. Yeah. And I know as rapid response nurses, like we would, if there was a patient that a nurse was concerned about, we would go check it out. And, you know, maybe it's like, you know, well, let's just kind of see, you know, how this plays out. I know we would always follow up with those patients just to see how they're doing. Um, because, you know, things can change later down the road. So just having rapid response on the radar about a patient is is a really good they idea. Do. I mean, you know, like in our in our facility, the rapid response nurses will follow up with those patients, like you said, is, you know, That's somebody smart. called about it on Monday. So I'm just going to keep an eye on things and mm-hmm. nothing's crazy going on right now. But let me just peek at the labs and see how they look today and whatnot. And I think it's great. I mean, ultimately, remember, this is patient safety. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whether or not you have a knowledge gap or not, you're looking out for the patient and you're advocating for the patient. So the rapid response team is a, is a really valuable resource to teach you ways to do that. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back to some more good times to call and maybe some uh, not so necessary times to call. All right, guys, we're back. Um, One thing I wanted to tell you guys about is a new course that I have coming out. It's called Breakthrough ICU, and it is to help those of you that are new to the ICU environment transition 
into that stressfulness um, instead of really trying to survive through orientation, you're actually thriving. And that's my goal is that when you finish orientation that you while you're not going to know every little thing, you feel confident in your abilities to take safe care of patients. Mm -hmm. So myself and another ICU nurse who's a nurse educator, um, it's got, I don't know, 70 modules, like tons of videos, worksheets, and all that good stuff. So if you head to freshrn.com slash courses, you can check it out. And I also have show notes that is a new thing that we're doing. So we have show notes for all of our episodes already. But if you go to freshrn.com slash 41, you can find the show notes for this episode. I will have in there an ICU drip chart that mm. you can download and print right away That's and bring awesome. that to your bedside. And so you can just like reference it really quickly. But before you use it, I want you to double check it with your facilities policies and stuff. I mean, I've updated it, but that stuff changed all the time. But print it off, then you can bring it to the bedside so you can see, wait, what do I start Levo at? Like, wait, what do I start this at? So that is all free for you. So freshrn.com slash 41, because this is episode 41. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our episodes now. So if you need any resources or anything that we talk about, I'm going to put them in there. So it's all in one lovely little place. That's awesome. Yay. Good job. So let's get back to talking about rapid response-ness. Let's do another episode or a, another idea, idea, another example of a good call. Um. So the pulmonary system can be complicated. And I always, most of our calls as rapid response nurses were usually pulmonary related. And I think sometimes that can be something that's easily overlooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because um, their respiratory rate's always 18. Yeah. <laughs> no, they throw a 20 in there. They do, They'll throw get, a 20. You get a red 20. 20. But <laughs> if you actually counted... 20 respirations a minute that's still kind of fast it is if you're resting you're really breathing like sometimes 14 18 yeah. anyway um but it's not just the o2 saturations that are important uh with a patient that's real. that's so many people get focused on those numbers yes they you do. know yeah. like their, their oxygen level is 95 but they're actually breathing 45 times a minute. Yeah. And they're using their accessory muscles and they look yeah, like they're right. going to die. So looking <laughs> at work of breathing, I think is really, really important that I don't, I agree. I don't necessarily think that nurses really pay attention to. That W.O.B. guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, um, you know, listening to lung sounds is, is important. And, and I mean, you really should listen to your patient's lung sounds when you come on in the in the beginning oh, yeah. of your in shift. all quadrants. Guys, yeah. I had Fields. a qu quick yeah. little story here. Bro. Yeah. I had a patient. I was just coming on. So, um, and this was on the unit where I had like five patients on day shift. And I had just come on. The provider had rounded like at 7.32, you know. And she goes, have you listened to his lungs? <laughs> Like, no, oh, wow. I haven't listened to his lungs. Hi. And then, <laughs> good morning. Um, and it's it's a med surge floor, so you only assess like a full <laughs> assessment once a shift. So it'd mm -hmm. been about probably 12 hours or mm -hmm. probably 10 hours since he had an assessment. And she was like, You can't hear any of his lung sounds on this lung. And I'm like, And then I go, and they're okay. like, son of a gun, sure can't. <laughs> Someone's got a little pneumo, and we had a little situation on our hands. But yeah, you, you like have to listen to the lung sounds. I've had instances where it's like, okay, I don't think that that was done. Right. Bad news bears. Right. Yeah. But I, and 
interrupted you. Well, no, no, no. Well, I mean, th- those are two key things. So just not looking at their O2 stats. Um, and, and work of breathing is, I think, one of the telltale signs that a patient is declining. And I know, like, I've he- read in uh, case studies where, you know, respiratory status starts to decline eight hours outside of a real big emergency event. Mm. So recognizing, once again, recognizing those symptoms early on can make the difference between, you know, that patient potentially coding. Because most code blues are respiratory related. You you know, that's... Hypoxia. And you think about, like, I I think I used to think that, you know, if a patient's going to, especially the way it's portrayed in nursing school, if a patient's going to go bad, it's like a light switch. It just happens. But really, it's this slow progression, right? And it's like, okay, I've been here for six hours and I assessed that patient earlier, but okay, they were on two liters. Now they're on four liters. Now they're on six liters and they're working kind of hard and they are refusing to work with therapy because they're tired. It's like, okay, wait, this patient I'm looking at now is very different from the one I I looked at it at 7.30. And it's important sometimes you have to actually pause and, and think back and compare the two because so much time goes by and so many things, especially when you have other patients and whatnot. It's like, yeah. wait a sec, this is subtle, but these are important changes. And work of breathing is, you know, it's, it's how deep are they breathing? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a deep, you know... <sighs> Mm-hmm. Or is it very shallow? Because mm-hmm. sometimes really shallow breathing is not Mm-mm. a good thing. Yeah. Because they're not able to take enough air into their lungs. It's about accessory muscle use. So mm-hmm. when we say accessory muscle use, that means are they using their belly to help breathe? Are you pulling up that gown to look too? Because you better pull, you can't tell if they're using <laughs> accessory muscles unless you pull up that gown and you yeah. look and look at their ribs and see if you can see this space in between right. it when they're I mean, inhaling. They can start to work so hard where they get retractions mm-hmm. where you can literally see the skin mm-hmm. like suck in either mm-hmm. between the ribs or kind of around your collarbone if they're really working hard. And th- those are, I mean, that when you get to that point, it's actually late. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you really look at what is the quality? Is it a, a nice, normal, deep breath? Are they able to say a full sentence when they're speaking to you? Or do Ooh, they have to take one. two or three breaths yeah. in order to finish? Mm. I mean, if I'm if I'm up and I'm walking around and, you know, I'm working out, it you know, that's one thing. But if, if I'm just getting up and moving from the chair to the bed and I can't breathe through that, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just... You have to we have to watch those signs and you have to watch to make sure that are they really I'm trying to think of how I want to articulate that but you know can they sit up and breathe can they lay down and breathe or mm-hmm. are they no longer able to lay flat mm-hmm. do they have to have their head a bit elevated mm-hmm. because they can't catch the breaths you know someone who's heavy and has an, a large abdominal girth mm-hmm. it's very common for them not to be able to lay flat so being able to catch a difference in could they recline 45 degrees before and now they can't is, is different mm-hmm. for that particular patient. So it's just, it's really you important. You know, that, that reminds me of, um, actually, this reminds me of the very first rapid response I ever saw back in 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But I remember we, th- my patient, uh, she had a, her O2 set was fine. I actually don't even remember what was going on with her, but I remember her O2 set was fine. Um, and she, and the surgeons were coming by. She was a, oh God, she was a pulmonary patient. Um, and I can't remember why she was there, but surgery was coming by for some reason. And I remember the surgeon standing at the edge of the bed saying, well, she's not going to last long breathing like that. 
Mm. You're gonna need a tuber soon. And to me, I was like, Oh my god, because I'm, I was like, intubation, like, oh my god, I didn't know that. like, ah! yeah. I got very, you know, I'm, I'm med surge, brand new, intubating people. That is terrifying. Not what I do. And I also didn't, wasn't even thinking that. And it's like, but then he's, he, she was working really hard, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't notice. Yeah. And I felt terrible that I didn't notice that she's actually kind of working pretty hard to breathe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, her O2 sat's fine. But that's, she can only compensate like yes, that for so that's long. that's what it is, and when compensating. That, and then that, like, when they stop compensating, that changes very, very quickly. Well, and it's also, what what that little finger probe tells you their oxygen saturation is, is not what their partial pressure of oxygen is in their blood. So you can have a normal SpO2, which is what most of us read. But if you actually did a blood gas and looked at their oxygen level and their arterial supply, it could look very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the reason why they don't necessarily go off of what the SATs say. Mm-hmm. Like they, Let's check an ABG. Let's see what the oxygen level is. Let's see what the carbon dioxide level is. Because don't forget, carbon dioxide drives most of us to breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's a good point. Oh, ABGs. Maybe, yes. maybe your ocean's Patients okay, not breathing enough <laughs> should be, you know, five breaths a minute. No. <laughs> no. That's you need to call. That's a problem. Yeah, no, yeah, like you have to have to assess further with an ABG, and, yeah. and a lot of times, a lot of these rapid, response, rapid response teams have those protocols. Yes. And actually, a lot of hospitals will have like an admission order set where the in this there's a standing order if they're having respiratory changes that you can just go ahead and get an ABG, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that. I I don't want to check yeah. your orders yeah. first, but that's a Always wise thing order. to do is yeah. to get an ABG and check. Yeah. Um, so, so good times to call our respiratory um, sure. decline. And even if it's, it doesn't need to be an emergency, it can be, Hey, there's changes. We're, we're working harder to meet the same yes. level demand. demand yep. or, yep. Um, so let's switch gears here. What would be some possibly unnecessary times to call? Like maybe you guys got called and then you go and you're like, well, they probably could have handled this independently. Well, I know that's a teaching moment. I want to use this as a teaching opportunity <laughs> to say, hey, but uh, caveat, if you think you need to call, call. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think never forget that hypoglycemia can be tricky. Mm-hmm. So you yes. have a blood sugar that's less than 70 then you can get stroke-like symptoms, for mm-hmm. example. So when you see a patient who's having those changes, don't underestimate the value of doing a blood sugar check. Mm-hmm. Because yes. a lot of facilities either have standing orders or some sort of protocol in place that allows you to treat that low blood sugar pretty yes. quickly. Yes, Because uh, if you get hypoglycemic, you can it can really change your hospital course depending on the severity of it. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we address it pretty quickly. And that's not necessarily a rapid response call. If they're having stroke symptoms, they're on the side of caution. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, when you come across a patient with a low blood sugar, make sure that you're following the orders that are available to you. Yeah. I've if they're se- not responding well. Yeah. I've seen, and actually I think I remember uh, the first few years of my career, like, oh my gosh, they're hypoglycemic and very symptomatic. And it, and on night shift, responsible for it by yourself, like very intimidating. But yeah, a lot of times you do have those protocols. And even if they are not able to swallow, there's, you know, you get the, the IV stuff and it, they should perk back up and you fo- follow the protocol. But yeah, I've seen rapid response called in that. And it's probably like, all right, you can handle that independently. Um, although it can be a little 
shocking mm-hmm. at first, but that's definitely something you can handle and, yourself. You know, and, and again, a good rapid response nurse will say, remember this order set. Maybe yes. they didn't know how to put the order set in. Yes. Maybe they didn't know that was within their scope. Right. Maybe they didn't follow the follow-up blood sugar. So maybe their blood sugar, instead of going from 50 to 250, only went from 50 to 120. And mm-hmm. so they were hypoglycemic again in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen with that. Always err on the side of caution, mm-hmm. but just think through what resources that you have that are already in place. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, AFib can be tricky too. Yes. Because it's a rhythm change. You know, maybe the patient's in and out of AFib and the nurse didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, AFib can be hard because I know, you know, AFib, your rate can go from 70 to 130, then back to 90. It can be all over the place. You are sustained And it's at so important to see how a patient feels. <laughs> yeah. You know, do they, do they even feel it going on? Mm -hmm. You know, are they like, yeah, I feel really dizzy or my heart feels like it's racing. Is their blood pressure low? Um, You know, when you make a rapid response call, it is important, one, to stay with that patient when rapid response gets there because they're asking you questions and to have, get your vital signs, get a vital sign and blood sugar. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. Yeah. Like, especially if you're incredibly busy on the floor, if you have an issue with your patient and you call rapid response, when they show up, it's not like, okay, they've got it. Like you need to be in there with the, the, the provider that's come to the bedside and then anyone else that's there to help facilitate what's going on. Like Mm -hmm. that's not a, because you're their storyteller. Yes. And then you can facilitate things and help, get whatever the patient needs um that yeah it's not a time for you to think that they've got it taken care of um and that reminded me of another of all this too guys. oh yes yes afterwards you're making sure especially if the patient's getting transferred to a higher level yeah. of care like we've got to really know what necessitated the call what changed what orders were implemented what? i mean that's probably you know i used to be a, a nurse peer review and I was chair mm-hmm. over a committee for a long time and that was one of the frustrating things that I came across a lot is that nurses would call resp- call respiratory call rapid response but if you read the charting the patient was fine there was never any documentation mm-hmm. on yeah, it's like, what did... led up to what? respiratory distress or what led up to rapid response because clearly something was going on yeah and I'm glad that they recognized they needed to call 100% glad they recognized it but really kind of paint that picture on what's going on leading up to why are you concerned? Make sure that you reflect that right concern in your charting. And that's not punitive. It's just like no, we're storytellers yes. that we have, or we have to be able to like say what happened. And that's so crucial as a part of like your role as the primary nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing too uh, uh, that I wanted to mention earlier, but I didn't. One thing what, I've had times where another time that is. a a good idea to call is if you're not getting prompt response from a provider Mm. when the patient's deteriorating. Mm -hmm. So I had that happen once. And that was one of my early rapid response calls where I had a a, a team of residents. I was on night shift. The guy's declining slowly. It's not in a, like a sudden code or anything, but it's like, I'm concerned. And, Oh, we ran this and we did this, but the, you know, and I asked the other nurses and they were like, yeah, I think I'd call one too if it was me, the experienced nurse. So I did, and he was septic and got transferred to the ICU mm-hmm. and died the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I don't like if I would have done it an hour or two earlier. Don't think that would have changed mm-hmm. things, but it was just like um, I was, and the doctor that came, who is a different person obviously than who I had been talking to. You know, I'm explaining things to him, and it's like, okay, this. Like the stuff that you were saying earlier, they probably should have come and looked at the patient, you know, like, like things like that to consider too. Like, 
sometimes you need decisions made very quickly. Yeah. And having a rapid response team there facilitates that exponentially than paging, waiting for the call back and then putting in the orders. And the, you know what I mean? Yep. So it's important um, if you're not getting the response that you need, um, that's another time that's appropriate well, to call. Absolutely help advocate with a provider. Yeah. yeah. I've seen many response nurses help with rapid response nurses help with that. And, you know, I, I've seen them have trouble with some providers too. Yeah. Like yeah. Really trying to advocate for a patient. I need to check this. I need to check that. And thankfully, because of those order sets, it's, it makes it easier for them. So they can revert to the order sets. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if your rapid response team is a registered nurse, not an advanced practice provider of some sort, they are they have to abide by their scope of practice too. Yeah. So they have to make sure that they're following their orders and their protocols the same as a bedside nurse would. I mean, there have been situations where doctors have or providers have not returned calls and it's bad enough and the the rapid response nurse just calls the intensivist and says, Hey, this patient needs to get here. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. And, and then and that intensivist can have a conversation with they, that one that's not they, responding. Yeah. Yeah. And that's out of like yeah, because it's like I shouldn't be dealing with that. I think <laughs> nurses all. need to know they have they do have support and they have a way, you know, if they're not getting what they need, there are other avenues to take, hence calling rapid response or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole nother. Oh yeah. Episode. I may or may not (laughs) talk about that in breakthrough ICU. It's in there guys. Yeah. Check it out. Okay. (laughs) So I think that kind of rounds out our episode. Um, The big picture rapid response is there to help you facilitate clinical decision-making when a patient's deteriorating. Um, It is highly recommended to call when you're concerned about anything. Um, It's always better to call and be wrong than to not call and have a code or have a patient have a poor outcome. And it's not, it's, and I don't think it's necessarily, always wrong but just to say i have a concern Mm -hmm. and there should be your your hopefully your institution has a rapid response policy that actually gives criteria on oh that would be a um, really great idea to print that bad boy out and just take a look at it Mm -hmm. yeah put that on your little clipboard with your icu drip chart it can be a little broad (laughs) but there's nothing wrong with always there on the side of caution Yeah. yeah Absolutely. And you know what? If you get a little snarky nurse that's like trying to con- be condescending, uh, my encouragement is to try to teach it, turn it into a teaching moment where it's like, I seem to have, have upset you. Is there something I did? I'm, this is, I'm, I'm in a learning mode and I would really like to know what y- you're picking up on that I clearly didn't. And let me just kind of play devil's advocate. If you have a patient who is deteriorating and rapid response is there, if they're like demanding and a little snarky in the middle of this urgent situation, please do not take it personally. Yeah. They are under stress. They know this patient's getting ready to go downhill. And, you know, if they sound demanding, <laughs> just just work with it. Just work with it. I would I would get that way sometimes, but I always always I would always come back and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry, but you know this stuff had to get done." So. Yeah, yeah, because you do have um, typically ICU nurses are the like very Intense. assertive, yeah. and have to get things done very quickly, which is the nature of that environment. Yeah, darn, it's in that breakthrough ICU again. Okay, um, <laughs> but but it's you know that's an assertive kind of thing. Hopefully, if the, if a nurse is being very assertive with you, that they're going to follow back up and say, "Hey, I, you know that was the nature of that situation." Um, hopefully they do that. I'm yeah, sure some should. out there are very straightforward and don't follow up. And so if that happens, I don't want that to like break your stride, man. You did the right thing you need to yeah. do for your patient. Yeah. That's what matters. Right at the end That's of the right. Day. That's exactly right. So that concludes our episode, y'all. 
thank you for listening. We're, we're back and it's wonderful. Yay. Yay. Um, it, I would love for you guys to go to freshrn.com slash 41 to check out our show notes, any other resources about rapid response, that ICU drip chart, um, and subscribe to the e- – you can subscribe to my email list. But then also we would love comments and ratings on this show and that helps us make make it better and also gives us ideas for more episodes. So thanks, nurses. Stay fresh. Damn crowd better hit the floor All the other fellas better run for the door Stop, drop, and roll with me I got the heat that'll make you scream